This is Amazed by God, brought to you by Through God's Library. We bring you stories of faith and God's goodness shared by people like you. I pray we build and encourage your faith. If you have a story to tell, please let us know by contacting us through our website at amazedbygod.com. We would love to help you share it with the world. While you're there, check out our other ministries. And if you would like to support the work God is doing through us, you can find the details on our website or go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Now here's your host, Mark, with a story of faith. Hello and welcome, welcome to Amazed by God, brought to you by Through God's Library. And with me today is Jen Reinhardt. Did I say that right? Yes. All right. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I am I'm doing well. Uh, I don't particularly care for this cold weather, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I guess, winter comes every year. And uh, right. uh, I, I, I get I get kind of sad during winter. But um, so we your your sister Jess was on the podcast and and mm-hmm. um, we had we had kind of met through a, a group that you made, correct, on Facebook? Yes. And what was that? Yeah, group I have I have a group uh, on Facebook, a page uh, called Yahweh Cafe. And so it's a it's a it's a group that you know allows people to kind of come together as a community um, to share their different uh, posts that they want to post or prayers that they might need or um, we also do testimonies on Tuesdays and we're going to be promoting some talents coming up here soon in the new year so it's a pretty uh, nice page for community of believers and non-believers it kind of ministers to everybody so so. Uh, is that open for people to search um, and, yes. and join? Yes, it's on Facebook. It's Yahweh. It's Y-A-H-W-E-H Cafe. And um, anybody can join. Um, and um, I kind of keep tabs on. I approve posts because I want it to, you know, be uh, a positive outlet for, you know, community. So, And like I said, uh you know, Jess had invited me to that because uh, Jess and I, you know, speak every so often. She's 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 recommended a lot of people to the podcast, um, which oh, yeah. I'm very very thankful for. And uh, but uh, we were just talking, you know, pre pre you know recording this. Uh, we used to go to church together. Yes. So um, uh, the church, the, the the second church that I was kind of on staff at. Um, abundant life uh, here in Glen Burnie, mm-hmm. uh, which was the reason I moved over here to Glen Burnie uh, in Maryland. Um, uh, we used to go there, uh, you know, uh, how long were you going there? Did you grow up there? Uh, no, I think I went there for a few years. I want to say that was probably my late teens to early 20s, maybe just about two years or so. But um, no, I didn't grow up there, but my dad lived there. Jessica, my sister, she grew up there. So, oh, oh, okay. Um, I kind of went there because she did. So, and then, so I wasn't really a faithful, uh, ongoing member at the time, but uh, it was kind of the only church I knew as home. So, in those couple years there. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, but, you know, here at Amazed by God, we like to hear testimonies of people. I think it's one way that we grow and could see you know, what God's done in our lives. And um, 
so I, I asked you, what, what has God done amazing in your life? I love that you asked that question, by the way, because, um, first of all, it's kind of hard. It's nice to be able to give a testimony because it would be hard to narrow that down into just a few things, probably, because it seems like everything that God has done has been amazing. So um, I uh, grew up in Baltimore and uh, and not the, the good end of town. <laughs> um, I grew up in a place called Essex. So, um, yeah, it was, it was rough. Um, but we, uh, we had, uh, a mom and dad that kind of, uh, you know, was lost. So my mom was, you know, a drug addict and, uh, alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic and, uh, we lived in a very abusive home and, um, we just had parents that tried their best, but wasn't really sure, I guess, what they were doing. Um, And uh, we always had a roof over our head. And now that I'm an adult, I kind of look back and I'm grateful for that. But the inside of that house wasn't the best. But um, I was the oldest of three. And later my dad remarried and had two more kids. So I'm the oldest of five. Mm. But being the oldest, um, that held a lot of responsibilities. So, you know, I was, uh, for my two sisters at the time, I was kind of a parent, probably by the age of seven. And I had to learn how to cook, learn how to clean, learn how to just tend to them, walk them to school, pick them up from school, fight their battles if they had it. I was their biggest cheerleader for different events that they had at the school. I just kind of played the role of a mother for most of my childhood with my sisters. And, um, so growing up, I wasn't really sure about love, I guess, because my mother, you know, wasn't one who hugged us or said, I love you and things like that. Because my grandmother, her mother actually killed herself when my mother was just seven years old. Mm. So... My mother didn't have an example of her own, but as a child, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that until I was an adult. But yeah. as a child, you, you know, you still want that attention and that affection. Um, and I didn't really get that from either of my parents. Um, so I kind of had to learn that on my own a little bit. But um, when I guess we were about, I don't know, maybe probably from like seven to maybe nine, we used to have to, my mom was in and out of like different places, like mental hospitals and things like that. And we would go visit her and we'd get birthday cards and different things in the mail. Um, So we just kind of were the kids who stayed wherever just to have somebody. Um, And uh, of course we had uh, family members that chimed in and helped out here and there and things like that. But you know, things inside the house became pretty abusive to where I, as the oldest, kind of took the brunt of it, where, you know, I kind of was protective of my sisters and never wanted them to be in a way that they would be hurt. Or So I would a lot of times take the blame for things just to bring it on myself and uh, to save them and protect them. But um, 
my parents did try to go to church. They went to a Baptist church, and nothing against the Baptists because they were amazing people. Um, I think my parents just tried to do the right thing by taking us to church, and um, but still living the same lifestyle when they went home. So that's kind of confusing as a child to hear one type of gospel and then go home and basically to a war zone. Yeah. So that was a little conflicting as a child to understand God because I wasn't really sure. I heard that he was loved, but then I'd go home and I didn't feel that. So, um, but we, um, we would stay in different places and, um, I know sometimes even um, the church that we went to, you know, when my mom wasn't there, my dad would take us to different people's houses. And sometimes we'd stay there for a long time because he had to work. And so we just kind of were kids that kind of went all over. Um, But sometimes those places that we would go to, um, even though these people were Christians, they weren't always the nicest people. Mm -hmm. And considering we were kids you would think, you know, that they would be. But we learned quickly that it wasn't the case. So, and I remember um, as a child, just um, even in a home of a Christian, not feeling safe. There would be times I remember one put us in a basement and just kind of kept us there. And it almost made me feel like we were dogs, like we weren't worthy enough to be a part of the rest of the house. Um, yeah, that's sad. And I, uh, yeah. And I remember another time, um, my dad actually drove from Maryland to Missouri to take us to, um, somebody's house that was affiliated with the Baptist church and kind of just left us there. Um, because my mom was, you know, doing bad or whatever. And, um, and then really as kids, we didn't know what was going on. So they just kind of left us there and, um, almost like hiding out, kind of like hiding the kids out for a little bit until they could get their selves in order, and the church kind of helped with that. But, um, you know, and being the oldest, again, I'm in a house where I don't know anybody, and I had to be protective. And But um, and I remember being there, and that was where, even being young, I experienced some abuse mm-hmm. um, with the 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 dad or whoever he was, um, and his son. Um, and I was just little and I didn't know, you know, I think you're vulnerable cause you're with strangers. So you just kind of listen to whatever they say. And then, um, you know, he would beat us with belts, like, I mean, all the time and we weren't his kids, but so it was kind of complicated in the fact that we didn't know these people, but they weren't very nice to us. So, um, but anyway, we, um, so we would kind of experience these things where we went, we went to a church, but majority of the people I experienced from there weren't very nice. Um, so that is very conflicting as a child. It kind of made me angry at God. And, um, but yet in those circumstances, I would always cry out to him. So, um, but anyway, as 
my mom and dad then with all the kind of chaos that we kind of dysfunction that we were kind of growing up growing up in um they finally divorced which I was very okay with I know a lot of kids kind of go through uh their own complications and difficulties when their parents divorce but with as bad as it was I was very okay with it mm-hmm. um I was 13 and um Jessica, my sister, it ended up being that they kind of left, the courts kind of left it up to us where we wanted to go. So Jessica wanted to go with my dad, and then I stayed with my sister, my other sister, because I I just, my mom was gone for so long that I just wanted to be there with her. And everybody assumed that everybody was going to want to go to, with my dad, but that wasn't the case. So they kind of divided the three of us. Jessica went with my dad and then we stayed with her. So, which was a new world too, to kind of have that division in your house. Um, so, but that same year when the divorce happened was the same year that my mom started going to church and she got saved and she told us where I'm going to be going through something called deliverance, which I didn't know what that meant. But basically, her whole world was about to turn upside down. And um, as amazing as that was, that she was saved and changed her life, it just, which again, I didn't know, because I didn't truly know God. Yeah, you didn't understand um, what was going on yet. I didn't understand. Yeah. No, nobody explained it either, really. It was just kind of a thing that you, you just experience. But... Um, but what that meant was that by her giving over her life to the Lord, that meant that the devil was going to attack. Because my mom has her own story, but my mother was, you know, a part of so many things. Even just the devil's had a hold of my mother probably since she was little. And so the fact that she gave her life to the Lord, well, that didn't go over very well. So I remember being 13 and, you know, there's just a lot of activity in my house and just being attacked left and right. And of course I'm thinking, well, if this is God, I don't want nothing to do with this because Mm -hmm. this is crazy. But I didn't realize the other side to it. Um, You know, I didn't realize that that was an attack from the, the devil coming at us. It wasn't God. That wasn't God. That was the other side of it, which never really got talked about. I kind of just kind of put it all on him, on God. Well, if you're God, you would yeah. be able to control why, this. Why would you let this happen type yeah. type deal? Yeah. So um, um, I was 13 going on 14. I was in ninth grade around that time. And for whatever reason, of all my sisters, I was very attacked and my mom likes to say that because I'm the firstborn and she, my mother's the firstborn and that those types of things that, she, you know, she really feels like there's something about the firstborn child that the devil wants to take you out, you know, completely. And that was very much the case for me because um, when I was 13, same time frame, um, I was late for school one day and I was in high school and I was at my locker and two men came and scooped me up 
and took me into another room and basically took turns in raping me. Hmm. And it was in the high school while school was going on. So um, I was I was just a, it was an awful experience. It was a train wreck of an experience. And, you know, the school wanted to cover it up. And they wanted to, so, so some people wanted to put it on the news. I told my mom I didn't want it on the news. Um, but then I had to go back to my house and, you know, just be just interviewed and questioned of so many things. And at that time, I didn't even know the answers to some of those questions because I really didn't know anything about that. Yeah. You know, when they ask the technicals, I'm like having a whisper to my mom, what does that mean? What does this mean? Because I don't even know what this means when they use the technical terms for things. Um, but so, you know, once they kind of did an investigation, they found out that the roofers working on the roof of the school were actually prison workers. And, um, you know, so I was kind of preyed on, oh, wow. you know, and these, it was these men that already knew what they were doing. Yeah. What, what around what year so, was that? That was, let's see, that was probably about... 94, 1994. Mm -hmm. 1994. Um, so because that happened, um, I had the most extreme level of fear that I think I ever felt. And even you never knew what was going to happen every day. It was just kind of so dysfunctional that that was a different level of fear, but this was like fear. And it was, when I hear people talk about like fear, that's, that's a step that can paralyze you. That was the level of fear that I had. Yeah. And, um, I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't want to be around anybody. Um, I would always look at every, if I saw two men together, I would just assume that that was them looking for me. Like that was the level of fear. If I would be in a car and one time I remember two guys whistling at me and in my mind, that was them, you know? So mm -hmm. it didn't matter. It just produced this fear. And then of course, with that comes other things, which if I don't want to leave the house, well, now I have depression. And I fell into a very deep place to where I thought if, you know, I would die, that it would be okay. Because there was already so many things that were overwhelming. And, of course, the devil would tell me that I, I wasn't worth anything. And, you know, just all these things that I just kind of took on to believe. Um, so I had to homeschool myself the rest of that year. That was ninth grade. I ended up homeschooling myself and my mom actually, cause she went to church. Um, when she would go to work, she would take me to the church. Um, and there was a lot of good people there that kind of helped me get through that too. But other than that, if I wasn't at my house or I wasn't at the church, there was nowhere else that I wanted to be because mm -hmm. I never felt safe. Um, so the rest of the ninth grade year, I just, um, I don't know. I barely, I don't remember a lot of that year. It's kind of a blur, but just because I think it was so traumatic and overwhelming. 
Um, and because I was, like I said, that being the oldest, I always had this mentality that I was like the one that had to be in control of my life because I had to be in control of other people's life. I had to be the one that was strong for everybody. Yeah. So then I would beat myself up thinking, what is wrong with you? Like, this is not you. And then, so that would put me into a darker place because that even not still knowing who God was, I still knew that I should be in a better place than where I was. Mm-hmm. So, um, after that year, actually my mom, she said for 10th grade, do you want to go to school? And I said, absolutely not. Um, so she, I said, if you find a school in Baltimore County, um, that's like the furthest you can imagine in the County, I'll go because I still lived in the same house and I basically didn't want, I felt like it, even though everybody probably didn't know my business, I felt like the entire everywhere where I was that everybody knew. Yeah. So I always felt like people's eyes were on me. So I, um, my mom actually quit her job, got a job an hour away, um, and it was in Randallstown. So we drove from, so I could go to high school there. We drove from Essex to Randallstown, which was about an hour, but it still was within the county. Um, so for 10th grade, I ended up driving or my mom drove us to, and, and work there. And my sisters, you know, went to school and it was just this whole life change just to get me to go back to school for that one school year. Um, and what was funny was, is that I was again out of my comfort zone because, um, growing up in Baltimore, kind of in the neighborhoods that I did, I was, I was the minority, where, like, um, you know, it was just predominantly black students. And I never grew up knowing what racism was because I just was very multicultural. We come from an Italian background. My mom had friends of all cultures and ethnicities. And growing up like that, I just never knew even or understood what racism was. But <laughs> 10th grade, not only was it a different school, and it was uh, me trying to overcome fear I think I was one of 16 white kids uh, among 600 kids at the school. Mm-hmm. But then it put me in a different category that year. But I just have the type of personality that I'm very, I don't, I don't know. I don't see it that way. And um, I had no problems there because that was kind of a thing that people were maybe a little bit worried about that. I kind of was a minority, but that didn't bother me at all. Um, I just wanted to be as far away from where I lived to go to school as possible. But um, so I went to school that year. And then 11th and 12th grade, I ended up going to uh, Perry Hall Christian. Uh, My mom put me in Christian school, you know, because we were, or I wouldn't say we, she was going to church. She was a believer. We went, like I went with her, but like I said, I was very, throughout those years, almost confused as to what, why people would go to church or why they would believe in God. Because I think I looked at it in a negative, like, yeah. well, all these bad things have happened. So if God is what these people say he is, then why? Why, yeah. why would he let that happen? All that's left a bad taste in your mouth. Um, right. You know, so, and, and his believers cause people to, you know, turn from him and, not see him all the time and all over the place. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So, um, you know, and I met, it wasn't like I looked at everybody that was a Christian as being a bad person. I just didn't understand how they lived like that or why they would believe in that. But I did meet many amazing people that were um, believers. It wasn't all bad. But um, <clears throat> so I got through high school. I was able to actually go on a trip to Spain um, on a mission trip, and I went on a trip to England. And um, so I was able to really come out of my shell more in my comfort zone than I was. And um, so there was good memories, too, a lot of good people that I met and memories that were made and things like that. But there was still a piece of me that was broken. And it was almost like I was walking around as like this cracked glass that was just always ready to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And um, But nobody could see it. And I was always, anybody that knows me, I have a very good sense of humor. I like making people laugh. I am always funny and silly and goofy. And I just love, like, I just like to make people laugh. And I like to make people feel good. And be, And I, I've learned it's because I, I didn't feel that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted that for other people. And um, so um, after high school... Honestly, I just, like I said, I was around good people, but I was still just broken. And I, you know, started to looking towards other things to, you know, fill a void, which is what a lot of people do, whether it's drinking, trying drugs, whatever the case may be, because it didn't matter what these people were telling me about God and what he could do for me. I still had to see that for myself. And because I, I never truly surrendered to him at that time, that's what I did. I, I still had a void, and I had to fill it. And, um, you know, so I got involved with, and that's the other thing, being, you know, abused and having something taken from you through, you know, child molestation or, you know, the attack that I had that was taken, you know, you know all of these things taken from me, you also get to a point where, yes, you're a victim of those things, but you tell yourself, I want to do this on my own because somebody else took that from me. And so, you know, you turn into being pretty promiscuous because it's not that, you know, I wanted to run around and be with every man that I possibly could. It was a way to make me feel like I was normal. Mm-hmm. that I had a say in that and I could choose that and do that on my own. I didn't even look at it as being a sin because I thought this this is making me feel like I'm in control. Yeah, like giving you power. Yes, I had to have my power back because I felt like it was stripped from me. And um, so I never looked at it as being like promiscuous like I was. And But I just had all these things going on and I was about 17 at this time and I was done school and Um, I ended up being on my own, um, at 17 and I ended up, uh, working, uh, I was living out of my car because, you know, there's a level of tough love that comes from my mom. Um, and my mom was kind of going through her own things at the time too. So, and again, being the oldest, I just kind of, 
naturally was a little bit more independent. Um, and I ended up living out of my car for about six months, but I worked, uh, downtown at the Harbor at the Sheraton hotel during the day. And then I, um, worked in little Italy at a restaurant there at night and being at that age, you know, I hadn't established credit or anything like that. I wasn't 17 going into 18. I just still was a kid. But even though, you know, you get labeled as an adult at 18, that doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I thought, you know, if I, you know, because I worked at the hotel, I could, I knew the where the showers were that I could use or whatever. Like, you would have never looked at me as being a homeless person mm-hmm. because I didn't look the part. Now, my trunk looked like a you know, grocery store, bathroom, the back seat. I had a pole that went across to hang my clothes. My car looked like I was, but my appearance, I never looked like I was. And I was never the person who wanted to ask anybody for help. So that's pride, pride. I had pride all over me because I wanted to be in control of my life. And um, so I never told any, really anybody. I had friends that I would get together with around that time say goodnight and everybody would go to their homes and I'd go sleep in my car in some random parking lot somewhere. Mm-hmm. Nobody even knew because I just never wanted anybody to know. And I think back now, if I probably would have said, help, <laughs> help, yeah, maybe it would have been different. Yeah. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I was supposed to go through that. And um, anyway, there was... The, me sharing this honestly online is very big for me because there's a lot of this that I kind of have held and I don't, I've talked to people maybe one-on-one, but I'm finally getting to a place where I can share it because it's part of my story. Yeah. Cause there's part, there's even family members that don't even know some things that I've gone through because I was just hiding my life, hiding the things that I knew maybe would shame people or be ashamed of me. Um, but there was a man that um, noticed, I guess, he kind of watched me and started noticing that I lived out of my car. And I don't. I guess he preyed on me. And, of course, being that age, I just I didn't know things. I didn't know a lot when it came to, I don't know. Well, the thing is, is that this man preyed on me and he came one day and, um, to the hotel and I thought I was going to check him in. And he said, you're living out of your car. I said, okay. Like, I don't know who you are and how do you know that? And I'm thinking he's in a business suit and I'm thinking I'm in trouble. You know, somebody's going to do something about it. And, um, he said, I own a bunch of uh, places that you could live. You don't have to pay me anything. You can just live there. It's not a big deal. I have a bunch of rooms, and I own this business and that business, and I own all these things. And I said, I didn't even know him, and I was like, okay. Well, it's better than being in my car, I guess. So, um, yeah, so I took him up on it, and I ended up being in this room um, but it was a place that was beautiful, but it was just, there were so many rooms mm-hmm. and all the doors were closed and it just, he said, Oh, I've, I've given, there's a, you'll meet other people and other people live here and things, but don't, don't worry. It's okay. It's kind of a community space for everybody. 
in the same situation as you. So I thought, man, this man is really nice because he's taking in somebody like me and apparently he's doing that for other people. He must be a pretty nice, you know, amazingly nice guy. But I was wrong because, you know, the devil can come dressed up in a suit. And he sure, he sure did. Um, so after being there for just a little bit, um, I don't know, he kind of, it's hard to explain, slowly, I don't even know how to explain it, but slowly got me used to him and comfortable enough with him to where if he would ask me little things, like say, hey, do you mind doing this for me? Or do you mind doing that for me? Just Mm -hmm. random little things. I would, of course, feel obligated to do that because you're giving me a free place to live. Yeah. And then those requests kind of started getting bigger and bigger. And then before I knew it, I was in a world that I never would have imagined that I would be a part of. And um, next thing you know, I started figuring out that he obviously did this to the other people there too. And But once I was also realizing what was going on, I also couldn't just leave. So because it was became like once my eyes got opened to it, it was basically kind of like an escort situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't. I don't necessarily like to call it like prostitution because in my mind, those are the ones that like walk the street and like sell themselves to people, you know, but I didn't see it like that. I, it was a uh, very professional, um, very business ish. And again, with my background, I almost, as it slowly got into those things, I thought, well, I can do this because again, I wanted to be in control. And as you know, as long as I said yeah, I could say yes or no, then I was okay with that. And I just got into a world that was ugly. Drugs, alcohol, you know, um pornography and sex and all these things and um nobody knew. Nobody and nobody knew. It was a very hidden life that I had. Mm-hmm. Um but it got ugly. And once it got to a place where I didn't want to be a part of it, um, yeah, it was just hard to get out of, too. So um, anyway, I I did get out of it. Of course, I had to be beat to an ever-loving pulp. But for me, I was even okay with that, too. Because if that's the licking I had to take to be able to go, then I was fine with that. Yeah. Um, So I, you know, I ended up um, just kind of random things. I would be there for my friends, be there for my sisters if they needed me. I never really had a place. I just kind of roamed the earth and just did what I wanted. Everybody called me a gypsy because I would just have a gypsy spirit where I would just go with the wind. Wherever the wind would carry me and take me, I'd just go. Because as long as I wasn't going back to where I was, whether that was that lifestyle of my house or forward was always forward, you know, it wasn't backwards. So, um, 
so I, I did a multiple things and I ended up in my sister, my other sister, Julie, she ended up wanting to go to uh, Virginia, Coburn, Virginia, because she was going to this uh, thing called Job Corps, which was going to help her get her diploma and all these things. And she didn't want to go by herself. And at the time I was staying in a shelter and I didn't even have kids and they let me stay in the shelter just because it was snowing. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I ain't doing nothing. I'll go with you. So we ended up in Virginia. I got a business administration certification um, and uh, was able to be there for my sister. And I stayed as long as I could to she was comfortable. She was comfortable. She said, I can go. Um, I ended up meeting a guy there who was from West Virginia. We were in Virginia, but he was from West Virginia. And um, he, we were dating and things like that, and he wanted to come back to Baltimore with me. So I ended up getting a place, and then he ended up moving in with me. Well, I had never lived with anybody before, and that didn't take long for that to not go well. So um, because, again, I was always very independent-minded, um, and I thought, if you're going to be with me, you're going to, you know, be the man in the relationship. I never wanted to be somebody who took care of somebody else, like, because I could already take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I was always very independent-minded. So that didn't last long. Um, but uh, anyway, him living in West Virginia, I was connected to some people there. Um so I just always, like, I kind of moved in a couple of different places and I found some connections. And um, I ended up meeting a friend of, uh, that I ended up being at her wedding. She became one of my really good friends from West Virginia. Um, and I ended up moving there for just about a year. So I went back to Baltimore and then I go back, then I go to West Virginia. And Jessica, my sister, actually lived there too. Um, we knew mutual people. And um, so I would visit Jessica and end up moving to West Virginia, too, because, again, wherever the wind would carry me, I would go. And um, then now the the girl that I moved in with, she went to church. Well, before I moved to West Virginia, when I was in Baltimore, was probably that two-year period of time was when I went to the church that you went to. Oh, okay. Um, but like I said, it was because Jessica went there. It wasn't, I mean, I would go, but I truly was still broken and lost. And I just always had this level of trust issues with people to where it didn't matter how nice you were. I, I, I just didn't allow myself to completely surrender. And um, so that's, you know, when Jessica ended up moving to West Virginia and I moved too, it, there was no ties of me staying behind. Um, I never really attached myself to anybody long enough to stay. So then when we went to West Virginia, I, you know, I lived with a girl. She was a single mom of two kids. And I thought, again, I always had this wanting to help people, um, way about me. You know, she was a single mom and I said, of course I'll help you, you know? And, um, so I stayed with her until she got married. Um, and then even her, they were like, you can stay, you know, with being married. And I said, no, it's time to go. Um, you guys live your life. And um, I ended up meeting somebody who was moving to Kentucky. And here I'm in West Virginia. And I thought, well, Kentucky doesn't sound so bad. And um, the job corps that I was a part of in Virginia, 
Job Corps is like a program from for kids, for well, I should say kids, for 16 to 24, uh, where you can get like your GED, your diploma, you can get some trade skills and that kind of thing. And you actually live, um, it's like a college campus. Like you live there, go to school there, they pay, it's like a government funded mm-hmm. program and they're all over the country. Um, so when she said something about Kentucky, I thought, I wonder if they have anything like that, like the whole job corps thing, because I thought that would give me a place to live. That would give me some kind of a skill that I could learn again. Like, let me see if that's the case. We'll look into it. I think it was about 21 at this time. And um, so the guy at the job corps says, yeah, we have this and this. And I said, send me as far away from here as you can. That was always my thing. Like, as far away as you possibly can send me, I will go. And then he said, you'll even do this without knowing anybody there? And I said, oh, I don't care about that. Like, send me as far away as possible. And so then I ended up in a place called Greenville, Kentucky. Um, And I went there for uh, getting my certification to being a nursing assistant. And so I always had goals, and I always pushed forward and moved forward in life. Um, I just never stayed anywhere for very long to actually make that count. But um, when I was in Kentucky, that's when I um, met my ex-husband. He's an ex-husband now. But I met my what would have been husband. Um, He was from Florida. I was from Baltimore. We met in Kentucky. And um, he wasn't saved. I still, still wasn't living for the Lord. Um, I even, my teacher, my nursing assistant teacher, she was an evangelist on her spare time. No matter what I did in life, no matter where I went, no matter the circumstance, there was always that one person that God would send me to kind of keep me grounded or at least try to, or minister to me. There was always that one person. Yeah, it was always reaching out. In the church or always, no matter, no matter where I was. Um, since I was little and, um, this lady said to me, you don't want to marry him. He's no good for you. You, um, you deserve better and all these things. And you, you're, you're going to be unequally yoked. And I thought to myself, well, I don't even live right right now. So how would we be unequal? And then she said, because God told me he has great things for you. And he showed me that your life is not going to be for nothing, that you're going to do amazing things. And I thought, this lady's crazy, right? Like, she has no idea what I've been through, and there's no way God's going to do amazing things with me. And I didn't listen. And, you know, he, as much as he pursued me, I pursued him back. Because, again, I never really fully committed to anybody because, you know, I would basically pick a person to pieces if I didn't trust you, I was done. I cut you off. You were done. I could go on one date with somebody and be like, absolutely not. Never again. I just was like that with people. And, um, but because he kept, I could push and he kept coming. I could push. He kept coming. So I thought, okay, well he is relentless and, um, he must really care about me, which now I think, I'm not sure if I feel the same way. That probably would seem a little creepy, maybe stalkerish. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> but back then I thought, oh, that's amazing. He loves me. <laughs> um, anyway, he ended up getting a job 
uh, we were in Kentucky, and he wanted to be with me and marry me and all these things. And we ended, he ended up getting a job in uh, Pennsylvania, in York, Pennsylvania, and his dad lived there. It was a good job and everything. And he, you know, basically was like, do you want to go with me? And I said, yeah. So um, uh, we got an apartment, and it literally one month of living together, and I was pregnant. And he, even not living for the Lord, he said to me, um, I don't want to have a baby with you unless you have, we all have the same last name. And, which was a very weird proposal, because it really wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't have the whole bended knee, you know, filmed photography situation. It was not romantic at all. <laughs> um, I didn't even have a ring, which, it just goes to show that, like, I didn't even... I didn't see how worthy I was then, um, that I would just take whatever, you know, as long as you're nice to me, I'll, I'll sign me up, you know? So, uh, got married at a courthouse, didn't have a wedding, no pictures, absolutely nothing. It was the saddest thing looking back that could have ever happened. We literally got married, said our vows. No, we invited absolutely nobody. He went to work that day. It was the weirdest thing. I didn't dress up no fancy way. It just wasn't. It was literally to, like, get his last name to have that when the baby came. Um, and he promised, oh, you know, I'll get those things for you later. And that never happened. And um, anyway, so we had, I had my daughter, uh, Jocelyn. And then we had three kids in three years. So I had two girls and a boy, I, boom, boom, boom. And, um, you know, growing up, I never wanted kids. And even what happened to me, they told me that I physically wouldn't even be able to have children. Mm-hmm. And um, so in my mind, I think I got myself to a place where I was okay with not having kids because I just didn't think it might even be possible anyway. So I never really wasn't, I wasn't the girl that was like, I want babies and I want this. I just wasn't like that. I never wanted to bring a child into this world because I knew how ugly it was. And, um, but God knew different. And, um, so it was a blessing, um, that I was able to get pregnant and, um, which again, kind of defeated what the doctors had said. So, because <clears throat> in my mind, I think at first, my, my first reaction was like, wait a minute, a doctor said different. Like, how is this even possible? So, um, but God knew what I needed because, you know, I went through a place where I wasn't really sure what love was. And even before I still truly knew him, I very much knew what love was when I had a child. I was like, whatever this is, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Because this is, am- you know, that was amazing because children are just unconditional their love for their parent and your love for your child that's unconditional and I I never knew what that felt like you know the fact that these kids needed me and wanted me and loved me uh, there there was nothing else I could do but give them that back in return and um, so being a mother was probably one of my most biggest blessings and it still is um, but, uh, with my then husband, um, we were in our twenties. So we, uh, I think, I think there was a piece of him that still wanted to be young 
and free and mm-hmm. go places and do things. But then he had to be this responsible dad and family guy, and he wasn't really sure how to balance those two things. Me, I could have stayed home with my kids and been fine because, you know, I just was that person. I was happy with that. Um, but he kind of started going out more and things like that and, um, you know, doing drugs and drinking and started bringing that into my house. Well, because I grew up like that, I was not having it. Um, but with the drugs, you know, he became very abusive to me. And um, I ended up having to go to the hospital a couple of times. And I thought to myself, and it was it would be because of whatever he was on. I think I remember one time with the neighbors, he was doing smoking something that had PCP. Well, PCP is the kind of thing that you see on the news, like that a husband will you know, kill his whole family and not even know he did it. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, this is a little dangerous for me and for the kids. And as much as I wanted to be the wife that fixed it, and I just couldn't fix it. And um, it became more of a safety factor. And so I ended up being on my own with the three kids. And they were just little then, maybe about five, four, and two, no, three, three, five, and six or so. They were still little. Um, But I had good friends and good support and things like that. But in my mind, I thought, again, I'm very angry at God because, like, God, you knew, you know how I grew up. And you know that I'm not a fan of divorce. And you know that I was a child, you know, uh, raised by a single mother at some point. And all these things that I, I thought to myself, if I ever did this, this life would never happen for my children. And here I was doing the same thing. And so I just beat myself up. And that was truly just the devil using that as a tactic to kind of wear me down. But I worked hard and, you know, with being a single mom, and it was a whole new life. And, you know, God gave, God gave me so many opportunities um, to come to him. He was always there, always there. But I was the one that pushed him away. Because even in being a mother and not knowing what to do with a lot of things, just there's not enough books you can write on what to do in a situation or whatever. Um, you just kind of have to take life as it comes and roll with the punches. And that was kind of how I did life was just took things as they came. But you know, for whatever reason, I want to say it's generational because I'm a very big believer in the, you know, the devil will use things that are generational as a curse on your family. And I believe that with our family because the things that would have happened to my mother or her mother, it just kind of has been passed down. Um, but these three children that I had, every one of them, when they were little, had seizures, every one of them. And I didn't understand. I didn't know why, but I had seizures when I was a child. Also, um, I grew out of it after I was five, but, uh, I was very, uh, and my kids were very like accident prone. People used to tell me, write a, I should write a book on just the fact that if anything would happen, it would happen to my kids because that was the kind of kids I had, <laughs> like the most random things. But it was, it was almost like the devil was constant at my kids to get to me. 
you know, because that's what happens sometimes. Like when he, when he, he's beat you up enough, but you're still standing, then he's going to use your kids against you because that's the next closest thing to you. Mm -hmm. And, um, he very much, you know, it was just constant. It felt like chaos and no matter two steps forward, I take two steps back. Like it just was a very hard transition into being on my own. And, um, and I worked very hard. And then it was about 2014. Um, I, I was working hard, but uh, I'd never felt good. I started feeling sick, and I thought maybe I'm just doing too much or whatever, because I would work 60 hours a week easy because, you know, there was for years I had to work more than 40 hours just to be making money to get my paycheck, like to have to pay for childcare or whatever else I needed to pay. I had to work a lot. And, um, but in 2014, I started to not feel good and my blood pressure was high and, you know, they would say, well, you need to eliminate stress. And I used to say to people, well, I, I do you want my kids? I mean, cause there's really nothing I can do. You know, uh, I'm stressed because of having to do the normal life things, go to work, make dinner, do laundry, take care of the kids. That, that My stresses are normal, you know, so there wasn't anything I could do about that. But um, in 2014, I was sick and I felt like something was wrong. And then um, there was one day that I didn't feel right. And I noticed that my right side of my face started to droop as if it just fell asleep and it didn't work. And then there was numbness that went down my neck and down my shoulder and started going down my right arm. And I remember calling my mom, freaking out. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And then she was in church. (laughs) With my one good hand I still had, I drove to church, her church, and said, oh, something's wrong. So, um, you know, looking at me, people were thinking I was having a stroke. And, um, went to the hospital, ran a million tests. And, um, after all the tests and days of being there, um, they had found lesions on my brain and diagnosed me with having multiple sclerosis. Oh, wow. And, um, they did, they do these high doses of steroid treatments and they did that for five days and my symptoms started to decrease. So I got better, um, which also, confirm that that's what I had because the treatment for that was helping me. Yeah. Um, so now I have this new big whammy that's been, you know, which is your health. And I thought, you know, okay, that was the thing I couldn't control, you know? So in, in my life, it was always like, I have control. I have control. I can, if something happens, I'll fix it. I could always fix everything, but I couldn't fix this. And, um, and then it was maybe another two months after that <clears throat> that uh, another episode happened. You know, I'm starting to go numb and I can't feel things and something's happening. But it took my throat. And I didn't realize how important, <laughs> I mean, everything's important, but my throat muscles shutting down, it just made it hard to talk. It made it hard to brush my teeth. It made it hard to eat, of course, and I had to be on pureed foods for two months and graduate myself back up to normal foods. Um, and I couldn't even gargle because I gargled one time not thinking, and then it would it go straight to my lungs, and I was going to aspirate. Mm. 
and you just don't realize even in your neck, like everything has muscles and it's there for a reason. Um, so when that went away and I had to work on getting that back, it just, something like that just, it makes your whole life so, so much more demanding and so difficult on top of raising children. And, um, I started noticing that things were just getting bad, like that this wasn't going to go away. And, um, I ended up, I was living with my mom at the time because I left my house and I needed other options because I didn't feel like I could keep up with where I was. And, um, you know, my mom's a nurse, so it was easier for her to take care of me when I would go through these things. And, um, well then, um, it was time to, it was time to go. Um, I, I think we just, you know, you can't, as an adult, it's very hard to live with your parents. I had three kids. Um, it was one of those things where you have two independent beings in a house and that just doesn't work out very well. Um, but at that same time, I was, again, trying to fill a void. And when, you know, the kids would go visit their dad or whatever they would do, I would just go out drinking. And I drink and I drink and I drink. And even though I knew there was something physically wrong with me, I didn't care about that. Because drinking for me still helped me be numb to what I was going through. And so I do relate and I get, you know, I don't look down on anybody that does these things because that's all you know. Like it's a temporary numb. When you don't know the Lord, that's that's temporary. Mm -hmm. And um, that was all I knew. And um, so, you know, I ended up having to leave my mom's and um we were just in a bad place at that time like it's almost like my just my life was spiraling it's just one thing after the other and I had these kids and I thought I need to get myself together I'm gonna like lose everything plus my health was terrible and um I ended up calling a friend that I knew that I used to live with in West Virginia and I wished her happy new year's and she said what are you doing and I'm telling her about my life at that state and that time and um, it ended up that I even ended up in a shelter for Christmas that year with my kids. And that's how I knew, even as a mom now, and that's one thing, me being in a shelter when I'm, you know, on my own like I was when I was 18 and 19 and whatever. But I got kids now, like, I can't live like this. This is not okay. And uh, my friend said, come to West Virginia, and uh, you can stay with us until you get your place or whatever. But she just convinced me to just leave Pennsylvania because um, West Virginia was cheap to live. So she thought, well, you as a single mom could benefit more by coming here because the cost of living is very different or it's better Mm -hmm. there for a single mom. So she kind of sold me on that. And I thought, well, anything's better than this, you know? Um, So I'm in 2015 in January, I had moved to West Virginia with my kids and um, I got a job right away working as a nursing assistant and um, my health was doing okay, but we got a place in March, so we had only stayed with them for about two months. Um, got a place in March, and it was two months later, which would have been May that year, that I started not feeling good again. And I thought, no, 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 wait a minute, like, I can control this. No, 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 I've done good. I This is something I can control, but I couldn't. Um I uh 
felt sick. I had a migraine that was lasting about a week, and I couldn't get rid of it. And um, I remember the responsible part of me thought to myself, because I think it was the end of the month. It was like the 28th or something. And I remember thinking, I need to go pay my rent. I thought, I'm calling out of work. I need to go to the emergency room, but I need to pay my rent just in case I don't come back. I always thought that way, like, just to be responsible. And so that morning, I ended up taking my kids to school, going to pay my rent, making sure my house was good, because I thought if I take myself to the emergency room and they keep me, I have my life has to be okay, you mm-hmm. know, on, on the outside. So I drove myself to the emergency room, and it wasn't maybe about five minutes before I got there. And again, my face, I could see in the mirror and I could feel it. My face was drooping as I'm driving. And then my, I have both of my hands up on the wheel and I'm, I call my mom and she's in, she was in Pennsylvania. She was five hours away. I said, mom, something's wrong with me. Please come. And that was a five hour drive. Well, she didn't hesitate. She jumped in that car and drove five hours. Um, but I'm only a few minutes from the emergency room. And then my right hand just dropped off of the wheel and it wouldn't work. Oh, wow. And I thought that. I thought the same thing is happening that it did before. So I just thought, okay, my face, my arm, I'll get there. They'll do that treatment. It'll be okay. Not a big deal. But maybe about two more minutes away from the emergency room, I could feel my hip. I like almost, I didn't have balance. I fell to the left and I hit the side of the door and I couldn't hold myself up. And I'm like, okay, this is different. And then next thing you know, it was just kind of creeping down my leg. Like it was like my whole right side, just from top to bottom, started to shut down. And um, as I was pulling in there, I literally had to lean myself forward as much as I could just to put weight on my leg to push the gas to get there. And um, by the time I got out of the car, I kind of was just dragging my whole body and about fell. And before they just ran out, they could see it. And um, by the time they had laid me on a bed, uh, my whole right side was paralyzed. And they were, I was in so much pain too. I had a ton of pain. And they gave me morphine for the pain. And I didn't know that I was allergic to morphine. Oh, no. The next thing you know, my mom, she had already like... I can't even imagine. My mom comes in. She had just gotten there. She probably probably took it like two to three hours to get there instead of five. But um, she comes walking in the door to where I am. As soon as she walks in the door, I start to code. So they had the crash team come, and uh, and she that's what she walked into was her daughter coding, which probably was awful. So... Um, because I was allergic to the morphine, so it literally was I was crashing, and I was coding, and um, and I remember just feeling like curtains were closing, like it was the weirdest thing. But um, but clearly nothing happened, and um, they kept me around. But there's so much of that that was kind of a blank because I just was in a state of unbearable, uncomfortable pain, and. Um, Anyway, I stayed in the hospital for about a week, and then uh, they said to me, we have to transfer you to um, a rehab facility for you to go into, which is like a nursing home. 
and I just remember the conversations, but I just don't remember too much of it. But I do have a memory that I remember. Um, my mom came with my daughter, my oldest daughter, Jocelyn. Mm-hmm. She came and brought her to the hospital, and they came at the same exact time that therapy was trying to get me out of bed to see what I could do, which I couldn't do anything. And when they came up, my daughter seen me fall with them catching me because they wanted to see what I could do, and I couldn't do anything. And I'll never forget her face just turning towards my mom. She was just devastated. Yeah. See me like that. Um, so I ended up going to get transferred to a nursing home. And, you know, I felt like it was a bad dream because I was at my work. That's what they sent me to where I worked. They sent me to my job. I was mm-hmm. a full-time employee taking care of people at the same place, gone for a week, and then I'm back as a resident. It was the craziest thing. I thought I was in a bad dream. And um, so I knew everybody. I knew all the workers. I knew the entire building. I took care of the other residents. That's what I did. So of all places in the entire county, they took me to my job, and um, which turned out to be a blessing because I had the best treatment because everybody knew me and that kind of thing. Um, but I was there for a whole summer for about three months, and learning how to eat, talk, you know, take all these shots and medicine. And so much was involved in that because even in the beginning I had to be on a lift, you know, and I just, it was, it was awful. And, but, you know, it's almost like of all the things that I've been through in life, which I've been through probably everything it seems like. Um, it was almost like I had to be taken to my lowest, which that was my lowest. Mm-hmm. I was half paralyzed because I'm so stubborn and I'm so, I was so full of pride that I had to be at that lowest place for the, to truly cry out to God because that's when I got to know him. Yeah. You felt him in the hospital? hmm Right there laying in my bed. I, that's when I started talking to him. And, you know, this time it wasn't the version that I once would have, which would have been like, why? Why do you let me? Why Why would you let this happen to me? Why? Like, I would always ask him why. Like, that was my conversations with him. Yeah. Like, or make this go away. Do this for me. Do this for me. That was usually my relationship with him. Now, I'm in a state where, in my mind, I'm thinking... I might be coming to see you soon mm-hmm. if this doesn't get any better because they made me sign a paper that said, if you don't get better in six months, this is going to be your home and you're going to lose your children. Oh, wow. So that was pure motivation. And so did, did you <laughs> get like, better? I mean, like within did, that time frame? Oh, and... yeah. I did. I did get better. I ended up, well, uh, my friend that I knew there, she went to a church there. And like I said, I've been in churches throughout my life, whether it was the Baptist church or, you know, the one in Glen Burnie. I've been through 10 churches or whatever. Um, But so they had a revival going on that week. Um, And, you know, I was in a wheelchair then, um, but I could be taken out of the facility if somebody took me or whatever. But I told my friend, I said, I really want to go to this revival. Because like I said, I was truly praying and I started truly crying out to him. And before people would have invited me, this was me pursuing that. That wasn't, you know, that was me wanting that. And, um, 
it was it was kind of crazy and wild because my physical therapist who worked with me every day and knew where my where I was she didn't even go to church and I said to her would you care you know to take me to this revival service or whatever like because she'd have to sign me out and be responsible for me basically and um I felt comfortable with her because she was my physical therapist so I knew like if I had to Whatever yeah, if, some, I had to do, if something was wrong, me. she's there. Yeah, so right. I needed. I didn't want just anybody taking me. So, um, she said, "Yeah, I'll go." You know, so um, she took me, and my children were there because you know my kids at that time they had to be in three different houses that summer because everybody they weren't sure what what we were going to do with these kids. You know, and um, the church just between my friends and people I knew and think different, everybody just stepped up. It wasn't even an issue of where these kids are going to go and who's going to take care of them. They were taken care of, mm-hmm. which was a blessing too, but they had to be in three different houses that whole summer. Um, and, uh, but the, the thing that I agreed to was for them to all go to that church. Yeah. Um, that way that could be a meeting point for them to see each other every week. So what I didn't even realize is, in that time, my kids were all saved in that church, every one of them. And not only were they saved, but they all, like, I mean, the Holy Spirit flooded through them. And they were all, like, you know, speaking in tongues, praying for other people. Like, my kids became kids. I didn't even know who they were. And I'm over here in a nursing home, and my kids are over here, like, becoming little prayer warriors. And and it had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. So, but it was, you know, God took over, and, and he ministered to my children to where it was almost like even that had to happen, because when I showed up to this revival service, I my my kids said, mm-hmm. please go to the front, please go to the front, you need to be prayed for, please go to the front, and I'm in a wheelchair. And if anybody has ever gone through anything like that, for some reason, I looked at the wheelchair as, a, as an embarrassing thing. Like, oh, I'm embarrassed, or, oh, you're going to be embarrassed of me. And they're like, absolutely not. You go to the front and get paid for and or you, prayed for. And did you? I did. Yeah, they made a way. They made a walkway for me. They wheeled me down to the front. And here's my physical therapist next to me. You don't even know God. Never goes to church. And um, I just remember I prayed so hard because they said, if you have faith, you know, and if you believe, you can be healed. And I just thought... I was in a place where I, that's all I had, mm-hmm. was feast. And I just prayed, and I prayed, and I had, like, it was hundreds of people, because it was a revival. Hundreds of people praying for just me. Yeah. And then next thing you know, I have these little hands on me, and it was my children. And, and I could hear my son speaking in tongues, praying and speak. I just thought, what in the world? But that 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 made me pray harder and just go, God, you're real because, I mean, look at what he's done to my children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got these little kids with their, their level of faith. I thought that's powerful on its, on its own. And, um, and I just prayed and prayed. And next thing you know, like I could feel that I could move my feet and I could move my toes, which I couldn't. And I could move the one, but the right one, I just, I just couldn't. It was asleep. And I looked at my physical therapist and I said, I can feel my foot. Something's happened. Like, it is. I can feel it. I can move it. She put her hand down there and she just started to, she didn't even go to church. 
she started crying and she was like, praise God, had her hands in the, I mean, it was beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. Like she was an instant believer because she knew I couldn't do that. And did you make a full and recovery? I, I did. Even that day, I said to them, stand me up, stand me up. I'm going to walk. And they just couldn't believe it. And, and I, I mean, my walking looked very shaky, mm-hmm. but I could walk. That's you awesome. Know, not, I, they still kind of held on to me a little bit, but they say that even with being healed, you know, it's not going to, it's not this instant, you know, like the fact that my body was asleep for mm-hmm. that amount of time, it was going to take time to wake that back up. Yeah. You know, your nerves and your, everything just has to regenerate and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, and I'll never forget the physical therapist. She got saved, and she um, she said on Monday we're gonna we're gonna show the whole staff in the nursing home what you can do. And um, so I sat in a wheelchair, and she sat a walker in front of me. And um, you know, everybody there knew that I was half paralyzed and I couldn't do anything. And on that Monday, the whole nursing home came, and all the staff came, and she said, "I want to show you all something." told them that we went to church and then told them the whole story. And then she, she just looked at me and I got up and started walking. Oh, that's awesome. And so it ministered to so many people. And, um, you know, so I knew that I went through that for those people. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I went through that for my children. To share, to share all that with them. Yeah. Because as bad as it looked, it was almost like we had to get to that place because like I said, I was somebody who was just so bound and Mm -hmm. broken and it had to be something so extreme to get me to truly cry out to him. And then of course he had to show himself to me in such an amazing way that I would never doubt him again. Mm -hmm. And I never did. I've never doubted him since. That is awesome. And that is an amazing, amazing story. So thank you very much for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. So um, here at Amazed by God, we, we also like to know, is there any songs or anything that have touched you over that time? Um, not necessarily songs. I truly read the Bible, like, a lot at that time. Um, not as much music, mostly just reading. And I any, truly really Anybody, anybody the- in the Bible that you relate to? Yes. Um, to this day, I still think I relate to Job. And I think a lot of people say that they've been through things, you know, they kind of look to Job mm-hmm. as being an example. But I just learned recently, too, that I'm even more like Job because, you know, my pastor kind of talked about the fact that Job in the Bible is, it appears like he's got it all together, that where God, you know, says, well, here's my servant, Job, you know. Mm-hmm. as and, and it's almost as if, Job is at this highest peak that, you know, he's almost untouchable is how you read it sometimes in the Bible. Well, you know, there was the the reason also that he was tested in the way he was was because he got to that place of that he was so high up there that he still, God still had to deal with his pride. Job had pride. You know, he mm-hmm. was in a place where he even thought he had control of everything yeah. because he was so loyal to God. But that's the thing. God's going, you, I still have to deal with something in you, which is your pride. Like, and um, 
yes, he had things taken from him. Yes, he's had to, you know, overcome so many obstacles, and he did. But there was still in Job a level of pride, you know, that had to be dealt with, too. So it wasn't that he was where he was supposed to be, because there's the only perfect person is Jesus. Job wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. He didn't have it all together, and that's why God wanted him. Even, even still, he's seen that he still had things he had to deal with, even through all the trials that he went through, which was pride. And um, I know for me that's probably one of my biggest struggles because I've always been in a place where I'm going, I have control. Yeah. I can do this. So, you know, God still, to this day, deals with deals me. Deals with you, though. Well, again... And the verse, the verse, because I know you do verses, too, um, the verse that I, even at that time, that would get me through... Um, had a lot to do with waiting on the Lord because I was always somebody that was waiting and never knew that I was waiting. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I always wanted something instant, but truly what it was is that I was waiting on him and not even realizing. And to this day, I always want to be in a state where I'm waiting on him. Um, but Isaiah forty thirty one is, uh, it says, but what is it? But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Mm-hmm. So no matter what I go through, I stand on the fact that if I have hope, and uh, you know that He's going to continually renew me, and even if I feel weak, He's my strength. You know, and that I I can run from here to California and take my problems with me, they're still going to be there. So he's truly the one that I'm to run to. So. All right. Well, thank you very much for sharing. Um, and uh, we, we appreciate hearing stories. Um, so for Amazed by God, this is Mark Stitchin, and we will see you next Monday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for listening.